Hey listeners, welcome to episode 57 of Resiliency. This is Silas West, and I am recording this without my co-host Steve Finley, but I'm sure he would want to say hi if he was here. So I want you to stay tuned for a fantastic interview with one of my former co-workers from my days with Word Made Flesh, and she's also my friend, Rachel Diachenko. Before that, I will talk about a resource by an author we just highlighted a couple of episodes ago. So let's do our intro and get on with all that we have prepared for you. Resiliency, a podcast that takes an inside look at enhancing the vitality and resiliency of field workers. Twice a month, co-hosts Steve Finley and Silas West bring you their conversations with long-term field workers or experts in the field of member care with the goal of encouraging you in your life and work of cross-cultural ministry. Hey there, Resiliency listeners. Welcome back to the podcast. We are in the third week of Advent and just about to start the fourth and last week of Advent. So Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. If this is your first time listening to Resiliency, you are very welcome. And if you're a regular listener, please think of someone who you would think could appreciate this podcast and share it with them. As always, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, on Instagram at Resiliency Podcast, or email us at resiliencypodcast at antiochwaco.com. Also, as I often say, your reviews and ratings help others find the podcast, so if you found this to be a helpful resource, help us make it possible for others to discover it. A few weeks ago, Steve and I highlighted a book called Grief Tower by Lauren Wells, which is a resource for parents of MKs and TCKs to help your children process the loss and grieve well the difficult parts that are often hard to talk about with being a third culture kid. Well, last week, my coworker Connie Dunn, who, by the way, co-hosts her own podcast called Parenting with Purpose, handed me a copy of another book by Lauren called Unstacking Your Grief Tower, which has been re- really meaningful to me. Its intended audience is adult TCKs like myself, who haven't had the opportunity to work through the loss of being an MK TCK. To say it's been a helpful resource is to grossly underestimate its importance, and I highly recommend it. And in fact, I was so moved by the book that I reached out to Lauren and she agreed to be on the podcast, so be on the lookout for an episode with her sometime early next year. Unstack Your Grief Tower. Unstacking Your Grief Tower. It's the name of the book. Get a copy. There's going to be a link to it in the show notes, along with a link to an article that our guest, Rachel, highlights. Thanks, everyone, and let's get on with the show. Well, Rachel, welcome to Resiliency. Silas and I are so thrilled to have you with us today. Silas and Kimberly West have known you for many years. I've just gotten to know you in the last 10 minutes, but uh, what a blessing to to see you face-to-face as you're there in Moldova this afternoon, and Silas are here in uh, Waco in the morning. So um, welcome to Resiliency. We'd love for you to introduce yourself, your family, whatever you want to say about you and them and what you've been doing uh, for many, many years out living cross-culturally and ministering. So tell us about yourself, Rachel. Thank you, Steve. It's a pleasure to be here and 
to meet you too and to see Silas again mm-hmm. after many years. I am from originally from Massachusetts, grew up in a suburb of Boston, and I now am married to Ukrainian and have one daughter who was born here in Eastern Europe in Moldova, where I've been living for the last 11 years. Before moving to Moldova, I was in neighboring Romania for seven years. And all this time I've been serving with an organization called Word Make Flesh. Um, I did a semester abroad as a student and right after graduating, signed up to return, never knowing it would turn into now 18 years. So here I am um, still serving. Was your semester abroad in Romania? I did. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. you were a servant team member. That's right. Yep, it was a servant team of five people. And we spent four months working with Word My Flesh Romania in their outreach with children who were living on the streets at that time. And we were placed in host families. So this was a pretty um, pivotal moment in my life. I was 20 years old from a wealthy suburb of Boston. And then I lived for four months with a woman who was a recent widow and had 12 children. And we lived together for four months. That was (laughs) culture shock upon shock right there. Wow. Yeah. That was a pretty, pretty pivotal moment in my life. Classic servant team put put somebody with a one of the most difficult situations they could imagine, and then if you can make it through yeah. that, then yeah. you can do anything. We have several <laughs> churches in the Boston area in the Antioch movement. Which suburb are you from originally? I'm from north of Boston, a city called Newburyport. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Rachel, we'd like you to just kind of unpack a little bit of what has led uh, to your resiliency, but and, you know, you've, you've been there 18 years hmm. Yeah. in that part of the world. But before you do that, I'd like you to, I don't want to sensationalize anything, but to provide our listeners with a little bit of the context for your resiliency, what's been the challenges you faced, um, the kind of stuff that, that has been difficult, like we just talked about living with a, a host, a host family for, uh, for four months. Those are, those with are the 12 children with 12 children. And a yeah. single mom, did you say? <laughs> oh, yeah. wow. Um, those we need be- to be interviewing that lady, by the way. Do you have <laughs> no. her contact? Does she speak English? <laughs> yeah, no, she doesn't speak English, but man, yeah, I want to interview her now. All her kids are grown. I want to see how she's doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, what are, what's some of the context that has led to the resiliency that you've, you've experienced? Well, you know, it's hard to say um, just one thing, but I think uh, anyone who goes into a cross-cultural service, you're going to be facing culture shock. So that's, that's a, big, a big moment of like either you crash or you adjust. And I think the first couple of years I had some of those, you know, very low moments in my life. We're like, I don't think I can do this. I have a college degree and I can't communicate with anyone yet because I was just learning the language, you know, all that sort of thing. And just feeling really useless because I was learning culture Mm. and whatnot. So just that kind of um, stripping away the layers is it's a pretty, a 
pretty big obstacle. That's um, pretty humbling too. But I think persevering was that it's very it's humbling. Humble, yeah. Yeah. Especially when you have an education and then you're walking around like a functional toddler. Exactly. Yeah. So there's that. Um, language learning is kind of what saved me there and succeeding, I think, and eventually speaking Romanian after about, I'd say about nine months to a year, I was starting to a little bit be able to communicate. Of course, it takes many years to become fluent, but that helped to sort of feel like, okay, I can, I'm a people person. I can actually finally communicate a little bit with people. And then also, I think in this particular ministry and work, there's a lot of uh, secondary trauma just by proximity. Mm-hmm. When you're interacting with people who are affected by poverty and exploitation and children who have experienced abuse and neglect. Mm-hmm. And I even was you know, close to and in relationship with families who lost children in the first years of ministry. It was, it was a lot, it's pretty heavy. So um, I think those are some things that have been challenges that at any point in time, I could have been, you know, like, this is too much. I need to, I need to go, I need to go. Mm-hmm. And I remember too, the, the center that you, that you work at, there was a lot of just challenges, even the, at the very beginning of getting that going. And so just the, the logistics and stuff of trying to get a facility up and running in a place that isn't always the easiest to do that in. Yeah, tons of challenges. I wasn't in leadership at that time, so that was a blessing. I wasn't the one in charge at the moment. Now I am in charge of a community center. And yes, I can tell you, sometimes I was like, what am I doing here? I have no idea how to do this. <laughs> yeah. So what? why why didn't you go home? You're sitting here saying it's so challenging and it's just, it was so antithetical to how you were reared in a Boston suburb. And yeah, why didn't you go home? And what about your relationship with Jesus makes this life of incarnational service among the vulnerable all these years, working among them, with them, loving them? What makes it sustainable, Rachel? Yeah. Um, well, I do want to say at you know, at the outset that I don't think that, you know, deciding it's time to transition is, is necessary a failure either, because that it's just a season, mm-hmm. right? I, I never thought I would be here this many years either. And every time I've sort of renewed my commitment, it's been another challenge. I mean, just two years ago, I was really considering, you know, maybe it's time for our family to move back to the U.S. And maybe it was, but I felt, I think, a sense of calling and also that um, just just practices of of regular uh, spiritual retreat and personal communion times with Jesus. I think that's what's confirmed and sort of helped me make these decisions, these processes of discernment over time. I can remember very clearly in 2015 I actually spent a week at um, a monastery in Romania doing a silent retreat. And this was Mm -hmm. quite an experience. And I came with the, yeah, it was an Ignatian silent retreat. 
And I came with the kind of question in my heart, Lord, are, are we going to stay or is, or is this done? Like I was really struggling at that point with a lot of things. And yeah, just that time again, really challenging. After the first day, I said to someone else, is, are, is this for real? Like, we really don't talk to each other, not even at We're meals. Talking. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Like we really didn't talk for a week, <laughs> half an hour a day. You talk to a spiritual director and that's it. <laughs> it's like, but, um, you in, but, yeah. but you commend that as an important time for you. You want to say anything else about your silent retreat? Because I don't know how many of our listeners might be like me been in ministry for 30 plus years and I've never had a silent retreat, but I'm not opposed to them. Give us a little commendation uh, for how that, that week, what it meant to you in your life. Well, probably a, an important aspect of your resiliency. Absolutely. I think that week of silent retreat was the most challenging and the most maybe extreme spiritual discipline of silence that I've ever experienced, but I was introduced to and have practiced from the very beginning, regular times of personal communion with God, whether it's a, a weekend day, an entire Saturday put aside, or maybe three-day weekend, or just, just a half a day. It's mm. those practices of silence, solitude, prayer. Um, yeah, just connecting with Jesus and listening, listening to his spirit. Mm. So uh, there, I know that it's not just your your connection with with Jesus that keeps you there, but also your commitment to community and that, the mutuality of community. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, um, that's absolutely true, Silas. And I first think of the amount of support I have from family um, that they have been supporting me all along the way although it's been hard for me to be living on another continent, I have a history of missions in my family. My grandparents were missionaries in the Philippines for 50 years. And I have an uncle who just retired at 72 from being a missionary in, in East Asia. And so it's kind of in my family, there's that community support and kind of um, this mutual understanding, like, yeah, we, we do cross-cultural ministry and it's okay. We survive. Um, but also definitely the value of community and doing it with others. Absolutely essential. I don't think I would have lasted very long if I had just come abroad and said, I'm going to start a ministry on my own. <laughs> it would have been a great idea, but I don't know how long it would have lasted without other people surrounding me. So this is, um, this has been important. It's also, I would say, been the hardest part hmm. of cross-cultural ministry and the most essential, the relationships with other people in community. Yeah. What about not just the community of other maybe ex expats that you have worked with, but what about those among whom you serve that become part of the community? Yeah, that's absolutely essential um, and has always sort of just been a given in our particular organization that uh, folks who are nationals right there in the country where we're serving really have a great and even more potential to connect with the people among whom we're serving. They just know the culture, the language, and the partnership is absolutely essential. Um, and that's kind of been, yeah, been, been very rich 
very rich that we have this multicultural community and value the gifts that each other bring. Rachel, I, I got to mine a story out of you. you your, your life is full of stories. Well, the first story I thought of, Steve, is just recently. Um, so not only am I living in community and serving with uh, others who are not of my host, my, my birth culture, I'm American and I'm working with Moldovans, I'm married to a Ukrainian. And so with mm -hmm. the pandemic around the world, it's been very interesting to see how our reactions are a little different. And, um, and that's been a, a good thing, I think, to stretch me because I would tend to be more like, let's be very strict and very careful. And, um, you know, we did obviously modify our programs during the initial lockdowns and all that. But there's a point in time where economy started working again and schools were reopening and we reopened our community center. But there have been several discussions in community where I am pushing for we need more restrictions. We need more, you know, modified, less smaller social bubbles. And my co-staff and my husband are all saying, we value the benefits of this community center more than they outweigh the risks right now. These children mm. really need this hot lunch. Mm. They need the homework support. The families um, need our support. So in safe ways, We've been making those decisions together yeah. and it's been challenging um, to me, but I've been growing through it. You just mentioned hot lunches, homework support, uh, homework help. Tell us about the community center. What do you guys do? Yeah, we have a community center. It's like an after school program for children at risk. And we're mainly focused on prevention right now of helping kids not drop out of school and succeed at school and just kind of a holistic approach to healing and eventual integration into society. We wanna launch them into a bright future. So that means we're trying to address all their needs, the physical needs like a regular hot lunch and a healthy snack. Um, and then also homework tutoring as well as moral support and spiritual education and just a, a safe place for them where they can have relationships of trust and experience healing. So that's kind of what we're doing right now. We have 20 kids in our program. It's smaller than it's ever been before, partly because of, of the pandemic and also because of our staffing. But we feel like it's important for those 20 kids. So we're keeping it going. Are they, is it a specific age or is it all school age children from start to finish of high school? The school system here works from uh, first to ninth grade is sort of like general education. So that's the age group we work with mainly, first okay. to ninth grade, yeah. Do you have some other keys to resiliency? You know, I was just um, discussing with one of our newest staff members an article by Henry Nowen called From Solitude to Community to Ministry. And I think that's kind of what I would say in terms of resiliency like that just that has to be the order <laughs> that we do things in first 
intimacy with Jesus, solitude. You have to hear that I am God's beloved. You have to know that so that then you can be present when you're with your community members and practice, you know, forgiveness, practice celebration together and do ministry. So that's kind of, I think, a, a real kind of foundational concept to our methodology, but also I think provides resiliency. This brilliant short article by Henry Nowen, Solitude, Community, Ministry. It's got to be in that order, not the opposite. So Rachel, if you could go back and have a deep conversation with the younger Rachel, um, the one that that I first met when you when you were starting out, what would you tell her to do differently or pay more attention to? I think I would just say, be gentle with yourself. Mm. Um, because there's so much that we can do, but there's also so much we can't do. And I also would just remind myself that God doesn't love you for what you do. He loves you for who you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amen. It's really mm-hmm. good. What are some of the ways that you were, you were not gentle on yourself early on? I think I was uh, probably too involved in thinking all the time about the relationships of of service, you know, maybe the teenagers that I was working with and even on the weekends and just not letting myself have a break from, from these relationships. Cause you know, you can communicate all week long, all day long, if you want now with phones. <laughs> mm. um, and so just really protecting now, I think I found a better healthy rhythm of protecting the weekends of this is family time. I don't have to answer a phone call. It can wait till Monday or an email. Mm-hmm. Um, those things can wait. I think maybe that's what I would do differently and how maybe I hadn't set, I didn't set good boundaries, I think early on. And I also would give myself permission to grieve. I think this is something I didn't do or didn't know how to do when I was young. The younger Rachel was like, well, that was hard. Now let's move on. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, that was traumatic, but I didn't know that word at the time maybe um and I found myself now really you know 15 years later dealing with some grief that was not dealt with at the proper time so allowing myself to have permission to grieve we have an episode that we um where we talked about grief and lament another episode on lament but what what are some of the ways that you've learned how to grieve some of these losses some of these experiences with people who are in a lot of trauma themselves and that you have interacted with and how, how have you learned how to process that and to grieve it well? Hmm. Oh man. Well, I, I do practice a regular monthly meeting with a spiritual director. And I think just someone who's offering me a safe space to talk about anything that's going on that's where some grief has come up and I've been able to share. I even last year in 2020, I remember uh, just weeping on the video call with my spiritual director and she just sat and prayed with me. And that was a really liberating experience. I, I think I used to think tears were a sign of weakness, 
And in the last few years, I've discovered and decided, no, my tears are a gift from God. I have a lot of them (laughs) and (laughs) it's okay for other people to see them. There's no shame in that. I mean, uh, you know, an appropriate way. I'm not going to be blubbering all over everyone all the time, but I've stopped trying to hide them. (laughs) When they come, let them come and ask myself, wow, what are those tears trying to tell me? Mm -hmm. That's good. So healthy. Mm. Well, Rachel, uh, what would be that one thing, like if our listeners just couldn't remember? Rachel was awesome. I remember that part. I remember she was amazing, but I just remember one thing she said. Somebody may already have that from the interview already, but what would you say? This is my one big takeaway that I would hope people would remember. Yeah, I just would say to all the work of compassion that each and every one of the listeners are doing in the world, add a dose of self-compassion. Just repeat that one. Be gentle with yourselves. You are loved. And it's from knowing that belovedness that you can serve others and show compassion on them. Mm -hmm. That's that's so good. So is there any books or pieces of art or music right now that are that's speaking to you that helps you to be more resilient? You know, I just read one and I've been following her podcast recently this past year. Um, Her name is Kate C. Bowler and she's a professor at Duke Divinity School. She wrote a book called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. And I found it just really refreshing. Good perspective. Like, right. Yeah. Sometimes we don't have answers for things that happen. Yeah. Uh, But she just talks about, yeah, just really embracing this sort of, yes, we can do things, but we also have limited agency in the world. And we just need to be gentle with ourselves and let go of this myth that like, you can do anything if you just put your mind to it. We're really addicted to that, even in Christian circles, not just in the secular world. And it's true. Work hard, but you know what? At the end of the day, we're not the Messiah. Jesus is. So only God can do anything he sets his yeah. mind to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I love this, Rachel, where I always tell people Silas and I are the most blessed of all. If they say like, wow, I really benefited from hearing your podcast. I say we are the most blessed of all because we get to talk to people like Rachel and hear these stories uh, straight from straight from the ones who are just living in this nearness to Jesus that makes all the difference in their lives. Uh, you are carrying something that is that is beautiful and it's uh it's a gym. It's, it's multifaceted, your life, your experiences. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we just are so grateful that you've been with us today and want you to pray a prayer of blessing and impartation for everyone listening, uh, just to receive from you what God's given. Thank you. It's really been a pleasure to share with you both today. And I picked a prayer that we often pray together Uh, It's called the prayer of St. Francis. Silas probably knows it well. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, may I bring love. Where there is wrong, may I bring the spirit of forgiveness. Where there is discord, may I bring harmony. And where there is error, may I bring truth. 
Where there is doubt, may I bring faith. Where there is despair, may I bring hope. Where there are shadows, may I bring light. And where there is sadness, may I bring joy. Grant that I may seek to comfort rather than to be comforted, to understand rather than to be understood, and to love rather than to be loved. For it is in self-forgetting that we find. It is in forgiving that we are forgiven, and it is by dying that we awaken to eternal life. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Amen. 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 Thanks, Rachel. Yeah, thank you so much. It was good to thank see you, you again. Too. I know, good to see you too. And I look forward to hearing uh, hearing more of your episodes, guys. Really great work. Thank you so much. Amen. Amen. Give my Bye, love Rachel. to Kimberly. Bye-bye. I will. Bye. Thank you for listening to Resiliency. Special thanks to Antioch Music and their original song, Nothing Can Stop, for our intro and our outro music. Tune in again in two weeks for our next episode of Resiliency. Can stop you.